Okay, hello and good morning. Um, it's a, a bit of a relief to be here in Selson Hall this morning. Um, as uh, Angus mentioned, a few people had to have COVID tests. Uh, I didn't have to have one, but Tim had to have one, which meant that as a family, we all had to isolate this week. Um, and then last night, we heard the good news that he was negative, and which means that I can actually preach live. I had recorded it, but you know what? It was tough recording it live, um, recording it and then pre-recording it and sending it out. So actually, this is much nicer to be able to preach in person. So I'm glad to be here. But it's been a tough week for a lot of people, has it not? I mean, not just with COVID and, and tier two, but obviously Angus just shared the news about David. And so for Sue and the family, and actually for us as a church, it's been a tough week as we come to terms with, with losing David. And, um, and just, to, just to say that actually the funeral arrangements are all underway. Um, the funeral has been set for February, uh, sorry, November the 13th. Um, but because of government restrictions, we're really restricted to the number of people that can come. And as you can imagine for Sue, this is like particularly difficult because she's so inclusive and she just wants to have anybody that wants to come, she wants to invite in. So she's really struggling with the whole thought of, I've got to invite people to a funeral. Um, so just bear with her as she just works all of that out, as the family work all of it out. Um, we are going to accommodate more people. We're going to end, end for two services. So there'll be the funeral service in the morning, which will take place at Beckenham, and then a Thanksgiving service, hopefully here in the afternoon. Um, and so we can have a few more people that way. Because um, we do want to come and celebrate and give thanks and uh, remember David together as well. And that's right to do. You know, we, we, can, we can take great comfort that David is now out of all pain um, and is free from his sickness. And, you know, he's worshipping Jesus. He's, he's living the dream. But actually, at the same time, you know, we, we mourn with, with Sue and with Becky and with Daniel. And we mourn with each other because that's also right to do. Um, so please, would you just continue to, oh, I ought to say that the, um, the Beckenham service, the actual funeral service will be live streamed. So anybody that does actually want to watch that um, can actually join, join with us. Um, it's just difficult, isn't it? All these restrictions on us. I don't really know what tier two means 100%, but we're working it out bit by bit. Um, but just keep Keep remembering Sue and the family in prayer. They are so conscious of the fact they're being prayed for. They're so aware of God's presence. And Sue is so aware of how much she is loved and being supported by the church right now and her, and her family. So they're doing well. Um, but a little bit of a gear change now because we are in Romans. Now, we started Romans sometime last year, I believe, and we covered one through to eight. And then we kicked back off the second half of Romans um, a couple of weeks ago. So Romans 9, Ray Lowe preached for us. And then last week, Romans 10, John Cleveley preached. Um, and so today I have Romans 11. Now, I'm a little bit nervous about preaching from this passage for two reasons. <laughs> the first reason is simply that actually, you know, if you've been in New Frontiers or Regions Beyond or any of our churches for any length of time, the names Ray Lowe and John Cleveley are, you know, they're, they're synonymous with um, uh, great teaching, they're experienced Bible teachers, they're, they know their word, they know, you know, they, they are just good at teaching. And I'm like, I've got to follow them. 
That's the first problem. And the second problem is that Romans 11 isn't actually the easiest passage to preach from because there are lots of views that are held on Romans 11. And I'm like, how do I explain this? And it can get political and it can get difficult. And I'm like, I don't want to get political and I don't want to get difficult with this passage. So, um, but actually having studied it and looking into it and reading around it, you know, God's just ministered to me through it. I have been blown away by God's care of us, by the way that God loves us and has chosen us, and that how he has redeemed us and called us out, and how he has a plan and a purpose for us, and that he's here with us. And that, you know, God has just absolutely nailed me this week on that all over again. So as I'm preaching, as we're reading the word, I am just trusting the Holy Spirit to be ministering to you, for you to be receiving from God, and just to be reminded all over again that actually we're saved by faith because of God's incredible grace. And if you don't remember anything at all from this morning, I want you just to remind yourself again and again, we're saved by faith because of God's grace and his incredible love towards us. So, as I already said, it's a, it's a slightly tricky passage to talk about, but Romans 9, 10, and 11 actually hang together because they all talk about Israel. So, if you like, you could say that Romans 9 is about Israel's past, Romans 10 is Israel's present, and then Romans 11 is Israel's future. Do I need to move? No? Okay. Sorry, I can hear some feedback, so I can move as I need to. Um, so Romans 11 is Israel's future. So today we are looking at the future of Israel and what that actually means for us. Um, as I said, there's lots of different views on Romans 11. And one would be, one that I came across quite regularly as I was studying, was something called replacement theology, which is somehow that Israel has failed God and that all the promises that have been made to the Jewish people and now, not for the Jewish people anymore, but they've been replaced by the church. And that all the promises that were made to the Jewish people now belong to the church. And the Jewish people have been disregarded. Can I just say and make it really clear? I don't think that for one second. And I think that I can't find that in scripture anywhere. I don't... I can't align myself to that kind of thinking, um, although people have made some very valid arguments for it. What I do see is, in fact, the complete opposite. Um, and I see that God is for absolutely everybody, that we can all be saved, that actually we're working, we're in one new man in Christ. Um, and it's not through our works it's not through all the good things that we do and all the ways that we serve people. It's not through obeying the law, but it's because of the sheer gift of grace that's been shown to us, and so we can exercise faith. Um, and that's what I believe that this passage is speaking to us about this morning, that we're saved through faith because of God's incredible love. So... I'm going to read the first 10 verses out, and then we're going to, I'm going to comment on them, and we're just going to work our way through the passage and see where we go. Um, so verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, Paul is writing, and he says this. I ask them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? 
Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? God simply said this, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen, chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears they could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. And so this prompts the question, doesn't it? Did God reject Israel? Um, And the answer, the shortcut answer, I'm just going to give it to you, is is no. Um, And we know this because Paul starts off by saying, hey, look at me. He starts off in verse 1 and goes, look at me, I am exhibit A. He cites himself as an example because he simply says that I'm Jewish by birth. You know, I am a descendant of Abraham. I belong to the tribe of Benjamin. That's where I come from. But because of faith, and his encounter with God, he becomes a Christian. He follows Jesus. And so Paul cites himself as a primary example. And actually, as a Jewish man, he was actually a pretty much a chief Jewish guy. And his, his responsibility was to persecute the Christians. So he wasn't just any Jewish person. He had like role and responsibility to, to persecute the Christians. And he says, no, look at me. Look at me, I, I follow Christ. It's not through works, it's because I believe in Jesus Christ. And then he gives us another example. He says Elijah is another example of God's grace in saving Israel. And if you can recall the story of Elijah and all the drama that went on with that, and there was a lot of drama in that, at the end of it, we see that God saved the remnant of 7,000 people who did not bow the knee to Baal. God will always have his people. And that's what he's saying. And that's another example that Paul cites. And no, God did not reject Israel. But God will only accept Israel on the same basis as everyone else. And that is through the saving work of Jesus Christ. It's not through works. I can't make that clearer. It's not that the Jewish people have to keep the law and we can use grace. That's not how it works. The way that we're all accepted is because of the work of Jesus. It's by faith because of grace. And grace being something that, you know, we know that we don't deserve it. We know that it's something we cannot earn. We can't even manufacture it but it's a free gift that's been given to us. Can I just make it clear? It's not just been given to us. It's been lavished upon us. It's been poured out, grace upon grace. We can revel in it. We can dance in it. We can enjoy it. We can be delighted by the fact that we are accepted by God because of his incredible grace towards us. But I do need to put a word of caution in because as long as Israel continues to reject God's way, they will also forfeit God's blessing, and that's there in the in scripture. 
But the next bit of this, the, the passage speaks to us about hope. So I'm now going to start at verse 11. I'm going to read that. It's quite a lengthy bit, but I'm going to read it out to you. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, then their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. You do realize that's to us. I'm talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, so just in case you're not clear, where the wild olive shoots, you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted among the others, now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. But do not consider yourself to be superior to the other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but this root supports you. And you will say then, branches are broken off so I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And if they, Jewish people, the Israel, Israel, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. The God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Paul paints for us the most incredible picture here. And I love Paul's illustration of being grafted in. Um, so I'm not a gardener particularly. I, I like to think I know one or two things about plants, but I know that I'm not a gardener. But I do know that you can graft one branch in from another tree onto, onto another, and they, they do something with it. They wrap it up, and it, they kind of do stuff. And it can grow fruit. Um, it's entirely different to two different trees coming together and uh, being um, propagated. That would produce a fruit that would be called a hybrid. The whole point of grafting in one branch to another is so that you can produce an identical fruit. And so fruit producers all around the world, I mean, it was lovely listening to, um, to Sally's uh, description earlier on with the apple and the fruit. To produce identical fruit, we need to graft in the, the, um, the branches and then you get the identical fruit being given. So, you know, you want your Granny Smith and you want them all to be Granny Smith and you want your Golden Delicious just to be Golden Delicious. Well, they need to be identical. Otherwise, they couldn't sell them like that and they'd have to give them a, a brand new name, wouldn't they? Because it'd be a different variety of fruit. 
And I love this description because actually if we, as the wild olive branches, are, are grafted in into the rootstock, the rootstock that comes from the Abrahamic line, which is Jesus, if we're rooted into that, then actually we will produce fruit that is identical to Jesus. That is kind of exciting, isn't it? That you actually get to bear the same fruit that Jesus uh, bears. So we grow, don't we, in all those areas. We know those fruits, the love, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control, and all the, all the other fruits, all the other things that we grow in our lives uh, that come from being rooted in God. And um, Sally and I didn't plan her talk and my talk today, but I love the way that God just makes things very, very clear. Um, so Paul describes, I've said that, sorry, Paul describes us as the Nunjis being grafted in. Um, but also he does point out very carefully that actually the branches that were cleared off can also be grafted back in. So God has not rejected Israel and he's made it possible for them to come back in. But I also like the first section of this passage, so I'm going back a little bit on this, but um, at the beginning of this, Paul provokes because he wants the Jewish people to be jealous of his lifestyle. He's basically saying, I'm going to live this out, and I want people to see something of Jesus in me that will provoke them to coming to know Jesus. And I often talk about living a life in such that uh, we provoke other people to come and ask us about Jesus and who he is. And I always have to say that actually this is not because we want to live this perfect life and everything is just beautiful and we're all happy all of the time. What I'm saying is that we live a real life, but we demonstrate that our security and our, um, our wholeness comes from being rooted in Jesus. We still get it wrong. We will still make mistakes. But actually putting those mistakes right and, and showing the world how to, 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 to live actually is a mandate on our lives. To reflect kingdom values of forgiving, of sharing lives, of having things in common, all the things that we learn in the word of God. It's, we can do that. And as I say, it's not to put pressure on us to be perfect, but it's, put, it's to say, be real. But demonstrate that you know our security comes in Jesus. That we pray when life goes, when life is tough. Well, we pray all the time, but we pray particularly. I mean, I was I was reflecting on this a little bit that um, uh, just just this week I already started the message by saying that this has been a tough week for a lot of people, not just for Sue and uh, Daniel and Becky, but so you know there's been COVID tests flying around. We've, people have got COVID. We're in tier two. Uh, people are struggling with what restrictions and what we can do and can't do, and and, and it has just been a tough week. And I've been watching um, our life group WhatsApp, and you know people have been. Uh, messaging with their, the issues that are going on, the things they're facing, their challenges. There's been encouragements that have been fed back and we're praying for one another. And there's just like real commitment to one another. And I, and I love that. And so when people talk to me about, you know, how are you coping with stuff? I say, well, I know that I'm coping because first of all, I can pray and I can ask God. But actually, I've got other people lifting up my arms when I'm struggling. I've got other people caring for me. I've got a whole church that I can turn to when life is tough. And I often say, I don't know how people cope without church because I need my brothers and sisters. 
And so I guess in a very roundabout way, this is really a real plug for me to encourage you to get more connected, especially if you are on the fringes of church or you've been watching us for maybe since the beginning of lockdown or, or you've actually never joined a life group or whatever. Do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna leave you with a practical um, thing to do at the end of the service today is to message in and say, hey, would you connect me to a life group? Would you connect me to a group of people that I can join with? Now, we can't physically meet at the moment, but we can actually do, on, we can do Zoom, we can do WhatsApps, we can message one another. And actually, we want to enjoy a relationship with you. And if you're not connected in, you're depriving us of your friendship. And I, I we want to be friends with all of you. So if, you, if you're not part of a life group, that's a little challenge for you. And I've completely gone off on a digression, because um, really, I need to get back to the passage, don't I? Um, so we're, lead, we're getting on to this next question, can Israel be saved? Um, so, as I said to you in that passage, Paul's been, uh, oh no, sorry. Yeah, Paul's been dealing with, um, with the Gentiles in that last book that we just read and their attitudes towards the Jewish people, which were becoming conceited. So we have to remember, we have to remind ourselves as, as Christians, as Gentiles, we have benefited from the Jews' rejection of Jesus. But we're going to benefit even more of the, from the Jewish acceptance of Jesus. And we must always remember that we've been saved by grace through faith. And, um, and actually, it's more natural for the Jewish people to be saved than the Gentiles. That's what that last little bit was talking about. So I'm going to now go into verse 25 and read the next bit, which really, you know, we're asking the question, will Israel be saved? Paul's still writing and he says this, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer, it's Jesus, the Messiah, will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just think of that. Everything that God says to you and speaks to you about, all the promises that he made, all the gifts that he gives, he doesn't take them back. He doesn't change his mind. Just as you were, just, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them. Paul is not simply, oh, sorry, Paul is not simply predicting the future in this last bit, as so as much as revealing the gracious purpose of God ruling over the nations, saving who he will by his amazing grace. And so the only response that we've got for this, the only response we can have to this passage is really humility and praise. And there are some practical things. We need to check our own hearts and our own attitudes. I mean, Paul was saying, you know, you, you Gentiles don't be conceited. Well, we need to check that we're not conceited. 
and we remind ourselves that Israel's hardening is only temporary and partial. There will come a day where they will see Jesus and understand what is going on. And Israel will be saved because Israel will be saved by the mercy of God because we are saved by the mercy of God. And so uh, at the end of this uh, passage, we read this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so we're reminded that God's ways are beyond all of our human ability to grasp. That's where um, uh, Bernard started this morning. You know, he reminded us right at the beginning of, of, of the worship, the sung worship time, that actually God's ways are much greater than ours and we don't understand and we don't always get it. But we know that God is absolutely in control, holding all things together. And for that, I am utterly grateful. And we cannot advise God. Yes, we can go and pray, but our prayers are not advice. We come before him and we ask, but we can't advise God for anything because he knows it all. And God is not in anybody's debt. He doesn't owe anything. But rather we, as people who love Jesus, we are in his debt for his mercy and constant grace. So as I said right at the beginning of this, if we take away nothing else from this passage this morning, it's simply that we are saved because of God's incredible mercy and his grace towards us and through faith in Jesus Christ, not through keeping the law, not from doing good works, but because of his wonderful love. So I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we are just blown away by your kindness. We're blown away by the fact that you've called us by name. We're blown away by the fact that you've redeemed us and that you've rescued us, that you have uh, taken away our shame, you've dealt with our sin, that you have dressed us in robes of righteousness. <laughs> we belong to you and I thank you. And I thank you that you have plans and purposes for this whole world and that we are part of that, that we are part of your people, that you have oh, I'm just so glad to be known by you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and just, uh, just minister to each and every one of us here in the hall and at home or at whatever stage that you're listening to this. But Holy Spirit, you just go deep with us, that you just remind us again what you've called us to. You'd remind us again of our identity. You'd remind us again of our position. You'd remind us again of our calling in you. And Father, I pray that we would be strengthened that we'd know what it is to bear much fruit, that we'd know what it is to keep growing in the things. If you are so grateful that we are grafted into you, into your rootstock. And Father, just as a family, we support one another. We want to just bless Sue, Daniel and Becky. We want to just ask you for you to just really um, reveal yourself and your love to them. That Father, they would just really enjoy your rest and enjoy your peace as they work out the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.